Open your Bibles to 3 John verse 2, 3 John verse 2, and I want to talk to you today about healing the soul, healing the soul. Now there's a reason why we're talking about healing the soul, and that's because of how important the soul is. If you have been here, we've been talking about the power of the heart for the last several weeks, and, and the reason why it's so important is because the soul consists of three parts. The, the, the human soul consists of the mind to think, the heart to feel, and the will to decide. And if you really, would, if you really dig down into this, this meaning, you'll realize, and if you, as you study the Scripture, and this is what I've discovered in studying the Bible, that tr- spiritual warfare is an assault against the health of your soul. Spiritual warfare is Satan's effort to make your soul unhealthy. Because if you think about it, if your soul consists of your mind to think, your heart to feel, and the will to choose or the will to decide, then why would Satan attack anything else? He attacks the very source of where your decisions are made. So the mind to think, as a man thinks, so is he. So if Satan can corrupt your way of thinking, that is spiritual warfare so he can corrupt how you live. Because uh, as a man thinks, so is he. Think right, live right, right? Right thinking will produce right living. Right thinking will produce, right believing will produce right living. So Satan's a, Satan comes to attack the soul. His assault is against your soul. He's the, it's, not about the, it's not about demons scaring you and demons filling your, you know, is the devil in the room? Is the devil in the house? Is the devil in the coffee pot? No, the devil's in the coffee, people. He's not in the coffee pot. Just kidding. Coffee's great. Coffee's from God. All right, keep going. <laughs> but the idea that, that spiritual warfare is anything more than that is really where Satan has overcomplicated and religion has complicated this topic. Spiritual warfare is Satan's assault against your soul. Your, your, the health of your soul is what God is after and the, the, the sickness of soul is what the enemy is after. He wants your soul to be sick because then you're going to make wrong, you're going to think wrong, feel wrong, and make wrong decisions. Your, your thinking is going to be corrupted, your emotions are going to be corrupted, and, and then your choices are going to be corrupted. And so what, what, why, why does David say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me beside still waters. Why does he say that? He says that that is the path to the next part of that verse, which is he restores my soul. So the whole goal of sitting beside green pastures and still waters, which is all about the word of God, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting beside green pastures and still waters right now because we're studying God's word. We're eating of the bread, the grain of his word, and we're looking into the mirror of his word. That's what still waters means because stormy waters, you can't see a clear reflection of, of yourself in stormy rough waters. But when the waters are still, you look down and you see a perfect reflection of who you really are. And when you, when you realize that the Bible is a reflection of the new you, then that's, that's when you begin to get a hold of the transforming power. As you meditate on God's word, as you read God's word, as you look into the mirror of God's word, you see what God says you really are now that you're born again, and that transforms the way you think, and then it transforms your whole life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. My goal is not to change your behavior or your habits. My goal is to help you change the way you think, to see yourself the way God sees you, and adapt your thinking 
to God's way of thinking, your emotions to God's way of, of handling emotions, and your decisions to God's way of, of making decisions. And that all happens in a healthy soul. You, you think right thoughts, you feel right feelings, and you, I, you can identify toxic feelings, and you can identify enemy thoughts when you have a healthy soul, and you can identify bad decision-making that is about to destroy or damage your life or the life of somebody else. So you can see why it's so important to have a healthy soul, because he says in 3 John verse 2, back with the original verse we, we introduced with, it says that, um, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. So now this is not just John giving a, a greeting or a salutation to people. John is giving us the pattern and the path and the system of how to live life. He says, he says, beloved, I want you to prosper in all things. I pray. He even says, I pray. John wouldn't pray this if it wasn't God's will. It wouldn't have made it into the scriptures if it wasn't God's will. So he said, I pray that you would prosper. Or one translation says, I wish above all things that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as and I think the more accurate translation for that word just is the word even as your soul prospers. So what he's giving us here is the pattern and a strategy and the system of how to live the healthy life. It is all about your soul prospering. He says because your health and all other things are going to prosper just as or in correlation to or in response to or in proportion to your soul prospering. Do you get that? As your soul prospers, that is what causes the domino effect in every other area of your life. And in the same way, when your soul is sick, that's what causes the domino effect in every area of your life, in sickness as well. I, I think I have this written down somewhere. I just would like to uh, read it to you if I can find it. But um, it's, it's really important that we, that we realize what, um, how, how a healthy mind and a healthy soul affects every other area of your life. Several years ago, a psychiatrist wrote a magazine article called Release from Nervous Tension. In his article, he outlined his research in the causes of mental and emotional disturbances. From over 10,000 case studies, he discovered there was a common trait with all his patients who suffered from severe tension. They were habitual fault finders, constant critics, and people and things around them. They, those free from tension were the least critical. The conclusion of this study is that fault finding is a prelude or mark of the nervous or mentally unbalanced person. Those who wish to retain good emotional, mental, and spiritual health should learn to free themselves from a negative, critical, judgmental attitude. That's why the Bible says don't judge yourself. That's why the Bible says don't judge others. That's why the Bible says to not condemn yourself, that Jesus doesn't condemn you. So why should you condemn yourself? Because it makes you critical towards yourself, negative towards other people, and it, puts a, it sets in motion a domino effect of, of, of mental, emotional instability and illnesses. Let me keep reading. Warped perceptions are limiting. Studies show 75 to 95% of the illnesses that plague us today Listen to this now. 75 to 90. Now, you only hear about the really major sicknesses that, you know, cancer and heart disease or these kinds of things. But that 75 to 95 percent of all illnesses, studies show 
that plague us today are a direct result of our thought life. What we think about affects us physically and and emotionally. It's an epidemic of toxic emotions. The average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day. Through an uncontrolled thought life, we create conditions for illness. We make ourselves sick through the way that we think. Research shows that fear, all on its own, fear and emotion and a way of thinking triggers more than 1,400 physical and chemical responses that we know of and activities more and activates more than 30 different hormones. Listen, do you, did you hear that? That fear activates more than 30 different hormones. Science has proven. So hormones are what affect your body and they affect your health and they affect your emotions. And so when you allow fear to grip you and, and you don't know how to uh, take it captive or or how to cast it out. You know, it's not a demon, but it is an emotion and it is a spiritual force and an emotional force. And it's all rooted in your thinking. What you think about is what determines what you feel. And so this fear triggers 30 hormones, at least in our bodies, which can affect, you know, if your hormones are out of balance, it affects your health, it affects your weight, it affects your, um, how you feel about yourself, it affects how you, uh, how you respond to other people in a given crisis or stressful situation or tense situation. This is, this, this is, this is validating this verse. This science is not, science doesn't make the Bible true. Science, just real science, just reveals the Bible is true. Beloved, I pray that in all things, or that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. There is the pattern, there is the strategy, and there is the system of how to live. So if we would concentrate on making our soul healthy, our soul prospering, then it will cause this avalanche of positive effect in our health and in all things. And that's exactly what science has proven. So we no longer, so we talk about, this scripture talks about prospering. And, we, and we've been like wrongly conditioned into thinking that prosperity has to do with money. And the word just means to flourish. It means to succeed. It, it doesn't, it, finance, finance, the financial area of your life is one of the all things that will prosper when your soul is healthy. Listen, if you would just focus on having a healthy soul for the next six months, if you would just come to church and learn about, just coming to church is not going to make your, health, your soul healthy, but coming to a church that teaches about how to have a healthy soul will make your soul healthy. Reading the Bible will not make your soul healthy, but meditating on God's Word and thinking God's thoughts based on the Bible that will lead to success. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter one, verse one. He says, beloved, he says, um, Psalm chapter one, verse one, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the, the law of the Lord. And he's not talking about the law of Moses here. He's talking about the principles of God's word, the word of the Lord. Uh, but his delight is in the word of God. And in his word, he meditates day and night. It's a it's a consistent way of thinking 
not a religious behavior. He meditates day and night. This is what you think about. You're thinking God's way. You're thinking from God's point of view. You're, you're see. Remember the guy that got afraid when they were surrounded. Elijah, was it Elisha? I think it was. Elisha was surrounded and his servant. They were surrounded by the Samaritan, the the Samarian armies. And, and, and the the servant said in second Kings chapter six, he said, master, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And they saw this army against them, surrounding them. And what did, and what did Elisha pray? He said, he said, don't be afraid. He said, Lord, open the eyes of thy servant so that he might see there are more for us than those against us. He didn't pray for more armies. He didn't pray for more soldiers. He said, open the eyes of thy servant that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Notice the the outward situation didn't change. But what he saw changed. The armies were always there. The chariots of fire were always there. And you know what? There are chariots of fire around your body right now. There are chariots of fire around your, around your family right now. There are chariots of fire around this church right now. But what we need to do is have our eyes opened. And what opens our eyes? The Bible says the word of God is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Uh, blindness is darkness. So light is what? Light is sight. And the entrance of his word brings light. And therefore it brings sight. And now we see. Now he saw. Look, fear, <laughs> fear came because of how he was looking at the situation. And fear left when he saw things from God's point of view. That's all we're doing when we renew our minds. We're, we're seeing things from God's point of view. When we get our soul healthy, it's because we're seeing things from God's perspective. Um, And really, what is there to be afraid of when you know that the worst thing that could ever happen to you is is to die and go to heaven? (laughs) Like you're going to go to heaven when you die. If you're born again, if Jesus is your savior, you're going to heaven when you die. So from that perspective, fear, begin, fear of death no, loses its hold over you. It's all about a shift in the way you think and the way you see something. But why is this so important? Remember, we've been talking about the power of the heart. Why the heart? Why the soul? Which is the mind to think, the heart to feel, and the, and the will to decide. Because the heart is where seeds grow. Listen, if we could realize, well, the heart is where man believes, the heart is where dreams are conceived, the heart is where relationships become healthy or unhealthy, the heart is where seeds grow. If we could understand that your heart is a garden, if we could just stop for a moment and realize your heart, my heart, our soul is a garden and you're the gardener of it. No one else is the gardener of your soul. And you know what that does is it immediately gives you a sense of power over your life rather than a a victim mentality and a powerless, a sense of powerlessness, which I don't have time to get into this today, but all negative emotions, every negative emotion that exists in our soul is the result of feeling powerless. So why do we, so you think about the, the emotion of guilt It comes from feeling powerless over our past. 
our sins, our mistakes. But Jesus washes us of our past. So that delivers us from that powerlessness and therefore delivers us from guilt. If you think about what makes you depressed, it's a feeling of powerlessness over your situation. If you if you study this as I've studied it, I've researched it, I've researched it in my own life as well as others and um, and the and the and the most the, the greatest professionals in this field uh, in depression. Some things are truly chemical. But remember, fear produces chemicals in our body. Remember, emotions produce chemicals. Love produces chemicals. Love produces dopamine. Love produces serotonin. Uh, These are powerful chemicals in our body, natural chemicals. God designed us to have a rush of serotonin running through our brain, hitting the pleasure center of our brain. None of these things are contrary to Scripture. This all validates Scripture. That's why the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. When you realize you're in God's presence, you don't need substitutions and things, artificial stimulants to make you happy. When you realize God's presence is in me, God's presence, when activated by your faith, God's presence shoots, shoots these neurons and man and all and, 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 and neurological forces into the pleasure center of your brain, wherever it is. Everybody's got one. And it goes, oh, wow, that makes me feel so happy. So this is why people are addicted to opioids and this is why people get addicted to anything is because it it is a artificial stimulant that sends a neurological signal to the pleasure center of the brain. It's not a mystery. It's very scientific and it's not like, oh, that drug is just looks so good. Nobody cares what it looks like. It's what it makes you feel. Nobody loves the taste of whiskey. I mean, maybe you do, you know. Oh, that's scotch, that 150 year old scotch. I mean, it's sour. It's I mean, I'm not speaking from experience from what from what people told me. (laughs) It's not oh, this tastes so good. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you like the taste of it, but every beer I've ever had, every wine I've ever had, every none of it tastes like Coke. (laughs) None of it tastes good. You know what I'm saying? None of it tastes like pizza. Oh, yeah, but it makes the pizza go down really good, Pastor. Uh, fair enough. And it's nothing. It's not about that's not sinful, man. That's that's between you and the Lord. And everybody should have their own conviction about that. When Jesus said when the Bible says uh, his love is better than wine in Song of Solomon. Can we talk about this stuff here today? When the Bible says, is, I know you're like, well, uh, I, I just want a healthy soul. I don't want to go get drunk right now. Uh, or do you? All right, here. But here's my point. My point is, is Jesus says the Bible says in Song of Solomon, your love is better than wine. And then in Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 19, it says, um, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is he telling us? He, he and this is where religion has just religion has just just messed everything up. He, when he says my love is better than wine, he's not comparing something bad to something good. 
If it was, then it'd be like, well, that's not too hard to beat. You know, if love is better than wine, wine is really bad and wine is and, and alcohol is really evil. I'm not saying that drunkenness is good. I'm not saying addiction is good or alcoholism. No, that's not good. Being addicted to anything is not good. Help me now. Except being addicted to Jesus is the best. And that's the goal for all of us. But my point is, my point is when he says your love is better than wine, he's not contrasting something good to something bad. He's contrasting something good, which is wine, to something better, which is love. He's, because if, he was, if it was comparing something good to something bad, well, who needs to use the wine as the illustration? Wine made people happy. Wine made people feel joy. Wine made people celebrate. And, and wine was a part of the celebration. And, and, and wine made you forget your fears. And wine made you, you know, feel good. And wine gave you a high. Wine gave you a buzz. Those are all good things. It's in excess when it leads to bad decisions and bad feelings and bad thoughts and abusing yourself or abusing the actual product. Man, I know this. I know. This will set you free. This will set you free. Because Christians like, oh, you know, oh, that guy, you know, drinking, that girl drinking, that guy smoking, that girl smoking. That's so evil. That's so sinful. No, it's their effort and their attempt to get to the pleasure center of their brain which is not a bad thing. It's the wrong route. And it is, it is a route that will demand more and more of that, of, that, of that nicotine or that weed or that alcohol to get to the pleasure center of the brain. But, the, but God intended us and God, Jesus turned the water into wine and they were like, wow, this is the best stuff. This is the vintage, man. This is the best wine we've ever had. It was Jesus' wine. Now, in America, it's really difficult to talk about these things because it's such a taboo among Christians that but yet so many Christians drink and yet it's so perceived as so evil. And yet, you know, you may be enjoying it this afternoon after the Holy Spirit <laughs> this morning, Holy Ghost this morning and, you know, <laughs> Camden Yards Vineyard this, eve this evening. I, so I'm not, that's, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wrong when you, when you are trying to fill a place in your soul that only the love of God can fill. It's, okay, so you're asking the questions like, well, you know, where, where do you draw the line? You know, how much of pornography is good and how much of adultery is good? And, you know, is, if, hey, they're just seeking, you know, well, now we're talking about good versus evil. We're not talking about good versus better. Okay. It's not, well, adultery in moderation is okay. Okay. We're not, Pornography in moderation. No, this, this, this is destructive to the soul because it, 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 is, it is one. See, these, so pornography, just while we're on the topic, is one of the fastest routes to the pleasure center of the brain. It's like a, it's like a Ferrari. It gets you there so fast. It's not like a, you know, a, 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 I don't know, Chevy Impala. I don't know what, what kind of you know, slow cars exist. I mean, that was actually a fast one when it had the 400 cc engine in it, but that's another topic for another day. All right. Some of you are like, come on. Is this guy going to get to the Bible? All right. This is all in the Bible. 
the, the, that, that stuff is a, it's a boom, it's just lightning fast to the pleasure center of the brain. And that's why people get addicted to it so quickly because it hits that nerve and you're like, wow, that thing just, more that had an effect on me. And then it leads to all sorts of dehumanizing of people and uh, objectifying of people. And it makes you feel bad about yourself and makes you feel bad about other people. And eventually you have to keep feeding it. And, it, and, it, and, and they say that many of the, many of the crimes of, of people who have done the most violent uh, of crimes have started with pornography. Uh, because it's the dehumanizing of the soul and it's the objectifying of a human being to where it's just pictures, it's just flesh, it's not a real person in that person's mind. They devalue and devalue and devalue to where taking somebody's life becomes easy when you don't value that person's life. You see, and when you don't value yourself, it becomes easy. So I don't mean to get on a bandwagon here, but I I want you to understand the Bible correctly so that when you read things, you're contrasting them properly. And when you see things in Scripture, we don't we don't go to the extremes where we begin to judge every behavior that people do and we forget why people are doing it. And then we don't have any compassion on people. But you will have compassion on a prostitute when you realize she's trying to fill her soul with love. You'll have when she's trying to value herself with money. And that's why it's never enough. And she'll keep doing it because she keeps de- it keeps devaluing her sense of worth to where she's willing to sell off pieces of herself for the for what? For a hundred bucks, for two hundred bucks, for this or for that. Why? It's all because she doesn't see the value that she has. Therefore, she cheapens herself to the point where it's even for sale. But if you look at the scripture in Mark 8, we'll understand in verse 36 what Jesus meant. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Let's look there. I'm talking about healing your soul. I know we're taking some, you know, side roads to get there, but, you know, side roads sometimes are faster. You know, you notice that, right? Just check your phone and you'll see. Um, For what will it profit a man to get, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, We've been taught that the scripture means we grew up. I grew up thinking the scripture means, well, you shouldn't go after, you know, you shouldn't go after riches. You shouldn't go after things because uh, you, lo- you could lose your soul going after those things. And while that's true, that's not the message really that Jesus, that's not the truest message Jesus is sending here by saying, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus is giving us a picture of our worth and our value. And so what he's saying is, is he's saying, look, even if you could gain the whole world, it doesn't even compare. The value of gaining the whole world does not even compare to the value of your soul. Your soul is so valuable. Your soul is so precious. Your soul is so uh, priceless that gaining the whole world, if you just gained Elgin, you'd be pretty rich. Right? If you just gained Hoffman Estates, if you could gain the city of Chicago, if you could gain America, the wealthiest economy in the world, the richest land, the most beautiful, the, you know, uh, majestic, uh, all, you know, you know, the, the songs that go from the east, this coast to that coast and all that. America's awesome. 
America's got its problems like every other country. But it's beautiful. Spacious skies, amber waves of green. Come on, are you with me? Purple mountain majesty. Fruited plains. If you could gain America and, and possess it, your soul is more valuable. It's like it's, America's nothing compared to the value of your soul. The wor- he says the whole world. If you could gain the whole world, your soul is more valuable than that. But see, when you realize your value and your worth, you will begin to make decisions accordingly. Now, wait, I'm more valuable than putting all that junk in my body. I'm more valuable. I'm more. I'm not trading my body for somebody's attention or somebody's approval. I'm not trading my soul for something that doesn't even amount to how valuable I am. When you begin to see how valuable you are, do you notice your sense of value completely changes the choices that you make? Your sense of value, I'm made in the image of God. I'm stamped with God's image on my heart. I'm, I'm made just like him. He's, I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. He came for me. He didn't come be, to give you value. He came to prove your value. He, Jesus didn't die for you to suddenly bestow value upon you. You were already made in the image of God, but you had a, you had a dead spirit that had to be born again. You didn't, you didn't become valuable when Jesus died for your sins. You were your value was validated when Jesus died for your sins because Jesus would not pay for you with a price that you weren't that that wasn't worth it. Jesus would not if he if he could have paid for you with a lamb, he would have he would have paid for you with a lamb. You're worth much more than an animal. That's why Jesus had to come. They were shedding the blood of animals, but it wasn't it didn't have the same value as the human soul. So God said, God said, but my ultimate plan is not for this is just a substitute in the meantime. But my ultimate plan is to send my son to not only save my people from their sins, not only save people from sin, but to make them realize how valuable they are by the price that was paid for their soul. Boy, this will set you free when you get a hold of how valuable you really are and how how your soul the sickness of our soul is what is leading us to feel the things, negative things that we feel, to think the negative things that we think and to make the decisions that we make. Um, when you know your value, you'll take care of your soul. You'll elevate your living when you discover your true worth. When you, when you va- know your value, worry leaves. And Jesus said it this way. Remember when he said, Why are you worrying? Look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Your your heavenly father feeds every one of them and clothes every one of them. Are you not worth much more than they? He says, look at how your heavenly father clothes the lilies of the field and look at how your heavenly father feeds all of the birds. Not one of them falls to the ground without God knowing. And he said, aren't you worth much more? more. Well, we see when you get a hold of how much you're worth, worry leaves because you I'm worth more than these birds. And yet God makes sure every one of these birds is fed. So I am not afraid of going without. My God is going to supply all my needs because I'm worth more than them. I'm worth more than these birds. You get this? Makes sense. That makes sense. 
When you know how valuable you are, you stop being manipulated by people. You stop allowing people to take advantage of you. You start seeing yourself and you start seeing things God's way. The opposite of worth and value is shame. Shame is the source of failure in life, the source of poverty, the source of dreaming small and thinking small. You don't feel worthy, so you produce to the level of your sense of worth. You don't feel worthy to have that kind of job, to have that kind of business, to have that kind of life, to have that kind of family. You don't feel worthy inside, deep underneath the root of our failure is a sense of low self-worth. And so our, the external life always rises or falls to the level of our sense of worth. And when you get a hold of that, you won't try to spend your time building a better life. You'll spend your time reassessing the value of your soul and, and, and assessing it God's way. And when you realize how valuable, how, how, mu- how, many, how many grew up in a religion or were told by a religion, you're, you're worthless, you're like a worm, you're this, you're that, you're low, you're sinful, you don't belong in God's presence. And, and yet Jesus came to bring us to the place that God considered us worthy of. God considered you worthy to be in his presence. So Jesus comes to get rid of the sin that separated us from God so that we could come back to the place of standing in God's presence without guilt, shame, fear or inferiority. Look at John 15 real quick. John 15, verse 7. And I'm almost done, so just, just check, out, check out these next couple of verses here. I think it will really help you um, and encourage you. In John 15, 7, he said, If you abide in me, now that's what, when you get born again, you abide in him. You don't have to work or strive to abide in him. You are, when you're born again, you are in Christ. Okay. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, that's our responsibility to put the word of God in our heart. Okay, to plant the seeds of God's word in our heart. That's our responsibility. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, watch what he's saying. Like, this is amazing that Jesus says, whatever you desire, you can ask for it and it will be done for you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is more valuable to me, in my opinion, and maybe you check it out in your own opinion, but it's more valuable to me than all the money in the world. All the money in the world is a cheap shortcut to this kind of power and this kind of prosperity. This is real prosperity. The ability to to have a desire, then ask for it, and it's done for you. Now, that's powerful. You say, yeah, but what if you desire this and what if you desire that? Well, built into this verse is the thing that protects itself. And that is when my words abide in you. When my words live in you. When that's what you think, that's your default mechanism is the scripture. Your thought always defaults to what the scripture says. The doctor says you're, you got six months to live and you immediately your thought goes back to what's abiding in you. The word of God abides in me and says, by his stripes, I'm healed. OK, I don't know what you're going to do because you just found out that your bank, you know, uh, 
took your house back or you lost your job or you don't have money to pay the bills, but you default back to this way of thinking. Wait a minute. God's word abides. In me. God's word says my God will supply all my needs. So if that door, if that door closes, some other door is going to open because my God shall supply all my needs. You see, this is this kind of thinking, this kind of thinking is what causes you to live this kind of victorious, happy, healthy life starts in the soul. It starts in the soul. He said, my words abide in you. You know, you have to ask yourself whose words are abiding in you. Is it the words of your parents that said you're a loser or the teacher that said you'll never amount to anything or uh, a friend that said you're ugly or the kids that teased you when you were a kid and said, you, you know, look at how short you are. Look at how fat you are. Look at how, you know, look at how your eyes are, are slanted. Look at how your ears are so big. Look at how you're this or look at how your color or look at how you're black or how you're white or how you're so, you know, thin or so big or so tall or so short and people making fun and and framing you and defining you by an outward appearance that is simply a shell to the real inner soul that is so valuable and the oyster that is in that that is in that shell the the pearl that is inside of you the treasure that's inside of you the greatness that's inside of you and the world has minimized us and Satan has built a society and a culture that minimizes our soul and maximizes our hair or the size of our cheeks or the size of our body or the or the shape of our body or the color of our skin. That is so minimal. That is so that is so small compared to the worth of the pearl inside of you, the greatness inside of you, the treasure that's inside of you. You know, some of the most beautiful people, some of the most beautiful people in the world are not the, by the world standards, the prettiest people in the world. And some of the ugliest people in the world, by the world's standards, are the prettiest people in the world. It's not, it's, it's not one or the other. I'm saying sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. It's because beauty is, not, beauty is not something that comes from the outside. Beauty comes from your sense of worth and value on the inside. And when you have that sense of value and worth, you know, you can, you can carry your little 98-pound body like it's the beautiful, most beautiful thing in the world. And you can carry your little 298-pound uh, body and you walk like it's the most, hey, there's more of me. I'm abundant. I'm walking in the abundance of God. There's more of me to love here, baby. There's just more of me. You're never going to run out of me. There's so much of me. Woo! God gave me double for my trouble. Get some of it. But you have to pay the price. <laughs> Oh, man, maybe you were looking for religion today. Sorry, I'm trying to teach you about your value, your worth, how precious you are to God. I'm not here to. Look, let me show you something here. He says when your words look, you got to ask yourself, what is poisoning your mind? Whose words are poisoning your mind? That's what's robbing you of your true success and your true health. Is hate abiding in you because you can't desire and ask whatever you want and it be done for you when hate's abiding in you, when bitterness is abiding in you, when fear, selfishness or anxiety is abiding in you. But when his words are abiding in you, this is why we need to meditate on God's word day and night because soul sickness results in emotional instability and physical sickness and bad relationships and bad performance in our jobs and in our businesses and in our families and in our community, even in our church. It's so amazing to me that 
Um, and it's sad to me that people can go to a good church, but that their soul is not prospering. Their soul is not healthy. Their soul is sick because of what they meditate on Monday through Saturday. One hour of me yelling at you isn't enough. You know, one hour of me talking to you and washing your mind with God's word is not enough for the 170 hours of, or 160 hours of filling yourself with low opinions of yourself and other people's opinions of you and other people's opinions are abiding in you. God wants his word to abide in you because that's when you're going to be healthy and be able to ask, have right desires. You're going to have healthy desires and therefore healthy requests and it's going to be done for you because of what's abiding in you. But soul sickness leads to whole sickness just like soul health leads to whole health. And I'll close with this. Look at Luke 8, 33. Remember, this guy was demon-possessed. Jesus cast out the demons, legion of demons, out of this man. Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 33. The demons went over the cliff. They get drowned in the water. Verse 34. And they, they all saw what had happened, and they fled, and they came to the city, told it in the city and in the country. And in verse 30, look, look at verse 35. This is the secret. Then they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed. And what was, what was he doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now remember, this man prior to this was, was naked and out of his mind. Now he's clothed and in his right mind. He's clothed and in his right mind. And what's the difference? It's where he's sitting. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of those that contradict the word of God. But in his word, meditate day and night. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. A healed soul comes from sitting and meditating on the word of God. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let's stand together.